we're going to talk about the 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 golden candlestick, but after after like ten generations of captivity, four hundred years of captivity, they come out of Egypt, right? And they come into the wilderness, and God tells them to build this tabernacle. And the question is why, and I guess another question is why is it important in the New Testament? It's important because the tabernacle is the pattern of worship. And even though we don't do sacrifices and all that, we don't do the stuff they did in the, in, in the tent, in the wilderness, still, still I want you to understand that everything in the tent points to Jesus. And everything, every color, every material, uh, every, 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 everything, how it was made, the dimensions, everything. I mean, I mean, we could, we could preach on and just bore you to death with every little thing because every little thing points to Jesus. And every little thing is a pattern for us to help us know how to worship. How many think it might be important for us to know, <laughs> to know how to worship? Gloria found a better peace. Doesn't she always do it right? Yeah. But yeah, it's got the little little knobs on it, and it, it's a lot closer. It's heavier, but not yet pure gold. So it, there's that. <laughs> if it was pure gold, it wouldn't be there anymore. <laughs> We'd melt that baby down. We. <laughs> We laugh, but they kind of did that in the Old Testament, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. So, so here's the thing. They, they came out of Egypt. They were delivered out of Egypt. And listen, they defeated Pharaoh's army, but they were still carrying Pharaoh's God. Because as soon as the, Moses, Pastor Moses, went up to the mountaintop, mm-hmm, what did they do? They melted down their gold, made a calf. And, and, and it's the funniest line in the whole scriptures when Moses comes down and he asks Aaron, what are you doing? How did this happen? And Aaron says, oh, I, we threw this gold in the fire and this calf jumped out. I mean, literally, King James Version, that's it. Really? Sounds like some of our excuses, right? I just threw the gold in there and a calf jumped out. So while they're up there receiving the Ten Commandments and talking to God, they're down below dancing and singing and shouting, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're singing and shouting and dancing to the right God. See, he had to take them out of Egypt and, and, and build this tabernacle because, like I said, they defeated Pharaoh's army, but they, were, but they were still worshiping Pharaoh's God. After ten generations, it seems like they couldn't get Pharaoh, Pharaoh's God out of their mind. Sometimes people get saved, but they still can't get their old lifestyle out of 
They, they still hang on to things back there that they, that they really need to, need to get rid of. Is, is anybody hearing what I'm saying? So, see, see, when we say worship, what pops in our head is singing, maybe dancing, shouting, speaking in tongues. Maybe an old-fashioned helicopter. (laughs) I mean, this is what we think of. But listen, when God thinks of worship, first thing pops in his head is sacrifice. That's not what pops in our head. What pops in our head is the good times. What pops in our, in our head is, I wish they would just sing a song that I like. Then I could worship. It's just, it's just really different the way we look at worship. And isn't it interesting, when Moses came down off the mountain, and, you know, at, when he came down, he didn't see anybody sacrificing anything. He saw them dancing, rejoicing. It was like a drunken brawl. And they thought that was worship, but that was the worship from Egypt. Now, I'm not saying that we can't sing and we can't shout and we can't rejoice. I'm not saying that at all. But you know what? Everything needs to be wrapped around worship. It needs to be wrapped around sacrifice. Come on. I know it's hard to pull an amen on that. But everything needs to be wrapped around sacrifice. And the, the golden uh, candlestick gives us, and, and, you know, they call it that, but really there, weren't, there was no wax in this thing. There were no candles. They hadn't even invented candles yet. But let's look at how this thing was made in Exodus chapter 25. You ready? You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. Say pure gold. The lampstand shall be of Hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. Now imagine this. Can you imagine, you know, somebody, I was reading, somebody actually tried to rebuild this and couldn't figure it out. I mean, this, how God. I don't, I don't know how they made this thing because it was one solid piece of gold. And then they hammered it in place. And I don't know if they drilled the whole, I don't know how they did that, but it was all one solid piece of gold. Some say probably weighed about 100 pounds. At $1,850 an ounce, that thing was worth, in today's money, about $3 million. And six branches shall come out of its sides, and three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Okay, one in the middle, that makes seven. Three bowls shall thou make like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and flower, and three bowls made like almond block. Can you imagine giving this guy instruction in how to make this. On the other branch, with ornamental knob and a flower, and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, anybody confused yet? 
On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. By the way, what it's saying there is this is the developmental stage of the almond, uh, all the way from just, you know, just, just the bud to the, to the, you know, to the, to the knob, to the actual flower that comes out on the, on the uh, almond tree. And it was the flower that was made like a cup where the oil was placed in. We're going to get into that. Under the second, uh, on the second, two branches of the same and a knob. Under the third, two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. <laughs> their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold and shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. It throws out the light. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern. Can you say that with me? Make sure you make them what? According to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Make sure you do it right. I don't know that we can worship just any old way. It has to be God's way. I want you to notice it was one beaten work of solid gold. Jesus was beaten. He was beaten, and he was gold. This lampstand represents Jesus Christ. We'll read it later, but he shouts out, I am the light of the world. He is the golden lampstand. Praise God. Number two, I want you to understand the oil for the lampstand was made from God's recipe, and it was provided, say provided, by the people. They had to bring the oil. God did not supernaturally provide the oil. It had to be made a certain way. In fact, later on, we're going to preach a message, and I'm going to steal from an old title from 30 years ago, Recipe of the Anointing. And that's going to be one of our messages going forward. Uh, we're going to preach that on Pentecost Sunday. Ooh, glory to God, because you have to preach on the Holy Ghost on that day. So here, so here, so here it is. God's people had to do the recipe, and we won't get into that because that's a sermon later, and it had to be provided. Does that remind you of the ten virgins? Go out and buy oil for your lamp. There, listen, there are responsibilities that God lays on Christians, and one of those responsibilities is to keep your oil, keep your lamp full of oil. Yeah, that's on you. Amen. I can't lay hands on you and say, receive oil in the name of Jesus. There are things you need to do. You need to get up in the morning and fill your lamp with oil. That's your responsibility. Amen. Don't be like the five foolish virgins who got caught without oil in the lamp. It's, to, oh my God, hallelujah. Can I take that a little farther? Pastors, it's on pastors to make sure that the church has oil in the lamp. Hallelujah. That every time we gather in the name of Jesus, there's a fire on the altar and oil in the lamp. Hallelujah. Yeah. 
This is where we're missing it. We're playing too many games and too much silliness and nonsense. We're more concerned about making people happy than we are pleasing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is a pattern to worship, and we need to find it and follow it. Give him praise in the house. Listen, don't fool yourself. This oil was costly. was not cheap. We'll get into all the ingredients, and they were very expensive. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn When we feel like it, Sunday morning only. How about Monday morning when you're not feeling it? Continually. Because if the light goes out, the room goes dark. Oh, my God. Not only must they keep oil in the lamp, but they have to keep it trimmed, keep it full. Keep it burning. I, I kind of grew up with this growing up Catholic. I was an altar boy. No, we had to learn all the Latin and all that stuff. But anyway, right in the middle of the sanctuary, hanging from that huge, tall ceiling, our church was over 100 years old, and there was a long chain with a, with a lamp with red glass, and, the, and there was a candle in that that always burned. And one of the nuns, that was their job to make sure they would drop that thing and they would light another candle, take the old one out, put the new one in. And there was always a light burning in the sanctuary. And that always impressed me and reminded me, even as a little Catholic boy, that there's something about the house of God that's different than every other house. And there's something burning, supposed to be burning, in the house of God that's maybe not burning elsewhere and the presence of God. But maybe we should have something in here just to remind us that the presence of God needs to be in the house of God. And we bear some responsibility. The Holy Spirit doesn't go where he's not wanted. He does not live where he's pushed out. And we must be like the five wise virgins and keep our lamps full. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 3. How many still with me? How many know the story of Samuel? We sang the song. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, for some reason, at some point, that light, I, I mean, I could see it flickering. Somebody didn't fill the oil up. It starts dying down, dying down. Samuel's, Samuel's asleep because no one's, no one's waking him up. Church, we have responsibility to wake up the next generation. And where's Eli? Eli's too old. 
Eli is a type of the dying church that we're seeing in the world today. He's old. He's overweight. He's blind. And when he falls over, he breaks his neck because he's stiff-necked too. It's a type of the church today. Old, blind, fat. (laughs) Stiff-necked. The neck is always symbolic of the will. It wants its own way. It wants to just sit in its chair and think about the good old days. Instead of making sure the lamp is lit. Oh, this, this, this bothers me. Oh, but wait a minute. Samuel had sons. There's hope. Y'all know the story. Samuel's sons were corrupt. They, they, would, go, they would go to the, when, the, when everyone brings in the offering, they stuck in a pitchfork and say, hmm, look, look what I got. They were stealing from the house of God. So the light's going out. The young generation is asleep. The old generation has lost interest. And the one that's supposed to be really doing the work, they're corrupt. They're interested in their own things, in their own ways. They're interested in getting ahead in the politics and the money. It's no wonder the light's going out. But I but all of a sudden the voice of God comes to Samuel. Awake, Samuel, and light the lamp. God, wake up this young generation and let them rise up and light the lamp of God again for the last days. Jesus. Generation after generation, priests came, priests died. Priests went on vacation. Priest did this, priest did that, but somebody always stepped up. Somebody always stepped up and kept the lamp lit until that day. And the lamp went out. But Samuel's coming. Oh my God, I said Samuel's coming. Shandaramakoye. Too many pastors are letting the light go out. They're careless. Or they just don't care. Or their mind is somewhere else thinking they can have success through other means. When the only real success comes from the oil of God. The only true move, the only true growth is when God, when God brings a soul to him. I want you to see that the oil burns in the almond fruit. I want you to understand, we we Pentecostals are sometimes really good about the power, but not always as good about the fruit. There are some churches, they're just so good at love, but there's no power. And some churches have a lot of power, but all they do is fight. Hello, Corinthians. (laughs) The oil hmm, burns in the fruit. 
if there's no fruit, there's no real fire. Oh, now you're, now you're not going to shout anymore. You, listen, we have to have some character in our lives, some discipline in our lives, some fruit in our lives to support the gifts in our lives. It's kind of like a triangle, right? The base is the fruit of the Spirit, and as you go up, you have the gifts on top of that. But some people have that inverted. They have a lot of gifts, but no fruit. And that, how many know that triangle is not stable? That's why, let me answer someone's question. That's why you ask the question sometimes, I heard about that pastor who, who, who's been having an affair with, with the piano player or the secretary, whoever it is, and, and that, that's been going on for six years, and he's been preaching every Sunday. I don't understand how that happens. They've had a lot of gifts, but somehow their lives have shrunk. The gifts of God are without repentance. So people, that listen, a lot of churches are still operating in stuff, but if there's no fruit, if there's no character, if there's no discipline, if there's no discipleship, it cannot forever support what God wants done in the house of God. Oh, if you don't take away anything else, take that away. The oil burns in the fruit. Fruit is necessary for fire. And then, you know, a lot of people have a lot of foliage but not much fruit. I'm not talking about foliage. I'm talking about fruit. How many remember the fig tree had foliage and Jesus cursed it because it didn't have any fruit? How many know that's another sermon for another time? Listen, it's purpose. What's the purpose? It, its purpose is to light up the holy place. There, there are no lights there. The out, outside's lit by the sun and moon. But when you come into the holy place, if the lamp's not lit, there is no fire. There is no light. It said that, because you see, when you come in, the lampstand is to your left, the communion table to the right, the altar of incense is straight ahead. The light shines across the room, 15 foot by 15 foot, and shines on the bread. You can't eat or even see the bread if you don't have the light. That's why sometimes people come to church and they walk out saying, I don't get it. I don't understand those people because they came for the wrong reason. They didn't have any light, so they didn't get any bread. Some people, some people come to church looking for a future spouse. That, that's why they're here. And they go away and say, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, that's because you don't have any light. Some people come to church because the, uh, they want to make a connection with someone for their business or something. But listen, I don't know why you're here, but if you're not here, amen, to, to get the light, 
from the gospel, if you're not here for the truth today, how many believe I'm preaching some truth today? Amen. If you're not here for the truth, you'll, you won't get the bread. Don't come for the bread if you don't want the truth. Don't come saying, oh, I'm hungry. You might be hungry, but you can't even see the bread until you get the truth. We got too many preachers not preaching truth, and their people aren't getting fed. Come on, church. Oh, I feel the Lord in this place. Every point I want to spend 30 minutes on, and I know I can't. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever lives right, whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that verse. I was driving somewhere, was it on the way to Shelby maybe or somewhere? Someone had it plastered on their garage door. That was pretty cool. Next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Uh He who believes in him is not, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Jesus said, I don't have to condemn them, and you don't have to condemn them if they're already condemned. I want you, how many know we're not saved by works? We're saved by faith. We're saved because we believe. Now let me flip that over and mess with your mind here a little bit. We're not we're not condemned because of what we do. We're condemned because we don't believe. Don't get all hung up on, oh, they do this and they're all, oh, you know, they're a sinner. No, it's not about that. Sinners sin, it's kind of what they do. Don't get all freaked out because sinners sin. You can't. Well, yeah, they're a sinner. It's what sinners do. Jesus, you know, and they're not going to hell because what they did, they'll miss heaven because they don't believe. You got to start understanding that that you go, you're saved because you believe, and you're and you're condemned because you don't. So the goal is not to get people to live right. The goal is to get people to believe. And if they'll believe, they'll start living right. Just like if they don't believe, they don't live right. Duh. But we just don't get it all the time, right? Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that the, the what? The light has come into the world. That's the condemnation because lights come in, and now we see. We see the works of darkness, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Mm Mm-hmm. 
For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Mm, 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 mm. Is anybody getting this? How many know it's dark versus light? But <laughs> Darkness is not a thing. Y'all aren't getting it, are you? Light is a thing. Come on, let's go back to high school physics. Light actually has particles. The other day, the Holy Spirit, I was walking by a flagpole. Hey, you preach 4,000 sermons, you get your illustrations anywhere you can. You run out of ideas, believe me. Holy Spirit, help us. And I noticed something, which is obvious, I guess, but the flagpole was so high, and the, and, and, and the shadow of the flagpole was the same distance and the same width all the way to the end of the shadow. The light didn't bend around. The exact proportion of that flagpole had blocked out the exact amount of that much light. All darkness is, is something obstructing That, 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 because darkness is not, listen, you can't adjust darkness. You can't say, make it darker in here. You, the only way to change darkness is to adjust the light. Oh, somebody's getting it in the house. Hallelujah. If you want it lighter in here, you turn the light up. Amen. And when you turn the light up, it drives the darkness out. Hallelujah. Listen, I'm to the point where maybe we need to just stop, you know, rebuking the darkness. Why don't you just turn up the light? You can't get rid of darkness unless you have more light. It's time, church, we learn how to light, fill it with oil, and light the candlestick of our lives. Woo! My God, help us. That's why, that's why the priest had to come in and trim the lamps. They had to, little golden tweezers, and they would trim it. Because the brightness of the light didn't depend on the oil, depended on the wick. And some of us are dim wicks. Sometimes, according to Ecclesiastes, a fly gets in the oil. Woo, glory to God. And you got to go in there, take the fly out, get all that carbon out of there. All that spent material. We go through a lot of junk, and sometimes you just got to go back to the oil and say, let me get that out of here. Let me, let me put this out of here. And as you, as you clean out the carbon and get rid of the flies, amen, and you adjust the wick, glory. 
the light just begins to come up. Hallelujah. 